So how are we all doing today? Everybody feel good about being here this morning? It's, uh, it's been a good week. Um, over the last couple of months, what we have been doing is we've been going through the Gospel of John. And I love what Eric said last week in his, in his uh, call to worship. Uh, he said this, he pointed out that John was very intentional. Uh, so we're going through this series in John. And he pointed out that John was very intentional about why he wrote this gospel. John tells us very plain, plainly in, John, in chapter 20 that Jesus did a lot of other things, but the things that, are, uh, that were written were written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing that we might have life um, in his name. So what we've been doing these last eight weeks is we've been going through the Gospel of John, uh, chapter by chapter, highlighting some of the, some of the uh, more interesting stuff. And uh, we find out that Jesus is more than just a good teacher, right? We find out that Jesus is more than just a great example. In fact, if you really listen to the words that Jesus is saying, you find out that he's, uh, if he's not who he says he is, then he's delusional and deceptive, and he's probably the worst kind of person you'd ever want to hang around. So he is who he says he is. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God, and he's worthy of our worship. And what we've been seeing is that there's this group of religious teachers, religious people that have been following Jesus um, around as he has began his uh, ministry. And there have been people, uh, you know, people have been attracted to his ministry. These religious leaders keep following him around to find out exactly what it is that they are attracted to. And um, they've been trying to trip Jesus up. They've been trying to uh, criticize him. They've been trying to find different ways to trip him up. So what we're going to do, we're going to look in John chapter 9. So take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one that's either down in front of you in that little slot. It's a white Bible with really small print. Um, and if you want that Bible, you're more than welcome to take it home and just consider it our gift to you. Before we get into John chapter 9 today, I've got a question for you. Have you ever been in a situation where you either thought or asked God out loud, why? Why? Why did you allow this to happen? Why did you allow things to work out like this? Why this sickness? Why now? Why, God? Why did you let this to happen? My why question came about seven years ago. Um, we have three kids, uh, Jennifer and I do. We have Brittany, who's 23. She's in, she lives in Lincoln. We have Kyle, who's just turned 21. He lives over in Midtown and is uh, uh, an intern over at the uh, City Light Midtown over there. And then we have Cole. And uh, Cole's our youngest. He goes to Iowa Western. And he's in the automotive technician program. And uh, about seven years ago, he was 12, Cole was 12, and we uh, were sitting in the living room and 
having some coffee, breakfast, something like that. It was early on a Saturday morning. And all of a sudden we hear Cole say, Mom, Dad? And it wasn't like, hey, Mom, hey, Dad. It wasn't like, good morning, Mom, good morning, Dad. It was like, there is something wrong here, Mom and Dad, and I need some help. And so we get up off the couch, and uh, I remember looking at Cole as we walked through his bedroom, and he was sitting up, had his hand over his mouth, and he brought his hand away, and he said, look, and there was blood in his, uh, in his hand. So our son, 12 years old, was coughing up blood, and we were like, what in the world is going on here? Not quite ready for this on an October Saturday morning. So we put him in the car, and we head over to Children's Hospital. And what we had learned through some tests is that uh, Cole's lungs were hemorrhaging, uh, and they were filling his uh, lungs up with blood. And not only uh, that, but the blood vessels that were around his kidneys were also hemorrhaging, and he was passing large amounts of blood through his urine. And his blood count was dangerously low, and he needed an immediate transfusion, blood transfusion, to, um, you know, to get through this thing. And so we spent five or six days in children's hospital and, uh, to try to figure out what it was that was going on in his body. And after extensive testing and the hospital staff consulting with doctors um, all around the country, specialists, um, we found out that Cole had a super rare autoimmune disease and uh, he needed to begin chemotherapy. And along with chemotherapy, he needed some steroid injection and this had to start now. It had to start immediately. They wanted to attack it aggressively. And so the doctor said that he would need months of chemo, and every time he had chemo, he would also need this large dose of steroid injection. And on top of that, he would need to take this oral steroid, large amounts of it. And I'm not sure if you know what steroids do to a body, especially in those large amounts, but it blows you up. (laughs) And... um, I remember looking at Cole. All our kids are in here, right? Kids are sitting beside you. And I remember looking at Cole and thinking, why? Why him? Why now? I never got an answer to that question. um, Jesus never saw fit to give me an answer. He never explained himself. In fact, I remember exactly the opposite. For the longest time, all I heard was silence. But here's what God did in the midst of all that pain. God changed the Kaiser family. He changed our hearts. All five of us were affected by Cole's sickness. By the way, Cole was back there in the the booth. Um, I'll share more, but he's healthy. He's He's a stud. He lifts weights. So God was faithful, and we'll talk more about that later, but um, just praise Jesus for that now. All of us were affected by Cole's sickness. Um, I would never have asked to go through something like that. Um, I can't even say that I'm at the point right now where I can say, God, thanks for taking me there. 
But um, I can look back and see that God used that to change my family. And so what I want us to see this morning is that Jesus changes lives and he uses different things to change different people. Today we're going to see how Jesus uses suffering to change a man's life. I've got one point today and I want us to see that Jesus gives purpose to our suffering. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 and discover that in the midst of our suffering there is purpose. And so uh, let's look in verse 1. Verse number 1 of chapter 9, he says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. So I want us to get the scene. Doug preached for us last week uh, about, about Jesus, how they were getting ready to, to stone him. So they were getting ready to cast him, uh, throw stones his way to kill him, and he leaves that, the temple area. He's in the temple. He, he heads out. And as he heads out of the temple area, his eyes come across this blind beggar. And it wasn't like, you know, he's just casually looking around and his eyes are bouncing from one person to another, noticing the scene. No, his eyes like are fixed on somebody. Like he, he sees them, sees him in the moment. He makes eye contact. And what's interesting is the disciples Notice that Jesus is looking differently at this guy. He's not bouncing off of him, but he's intent on seeing who this guy is. And so the disciples um, begin a conversation. What I want us to see, though, is that in the midst of our suffering, this blind beggar, Jesus sees our suffering. Now think about this beggar. Every single day of his life, he was born blind. Every single day of his adult life, he could not take care of himself. It's not like he could go get a job because the ADA or the EEO or whatever require a particular place of employment to have handicap access or to give um, handicapped people some, some sort of um, you know, way in. They didn't have that back in his day. We praise God for that type of stuff these days. But back in his day... He was blind, and he had to fend for himself. The way he fended for himself on a daily basis was to go to the temple because that's where everybody went, right? He had to get in the line of traffic. And so he went to the temple close to it, and day after day, month after month, this man would say, alms for the blind, alms for the blind, please. And he would depend on somebody else giving him some food, giving him some money, making it so that he could survive that day. He would go home, next day wake up, do it again. Day after day after day. This man's career choices were sealed from the time that he was born. He was going to have to beg all of his life in order to survive. He was in a world of hurt. But then Jesus sees him, right? Jesus looks upon him. He makes eye contact with him. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is the creator of the universe noticing someone insignificant as a blind beggar by the temple just trying to survive? Have you, anybody here ever had any brushes with famous people? I've had a couple. Like, you may not consider them famous, but there was, was one time I was sitting in St. Louis Airport, 
And uh, uh, I'm waiting on a, a co-worker to, to get out of the shop. And I looked down, and coming down the corridor was a tall African-American man. And as he got closer, I said, hey, Sinbad. And he goes, hey, Sinbad. You guys know who Sinbad is? The comedian, right? I, was, I thought it was awesome. Sinbad said, hey, to me. I was a nobody. Sinbad was a somebody. My other brush with somebody famous was, uh, how many of you guys uh, uh, watch Gas Monkey Garage? It's, on, it's a discovery uh, show on cable, which we no longer have. But anyways, uh, this guy named Richard Rawlings is kind of the, uh, a rich dude, and he buys these old cars, and um, somebody fixes them up, and then they sell them, or they have competitions with them. And so I'm going through the Chicago airport, just walking through, and I see Richard Rawlings, like, I'm in the center, and he's in the center, and I'm like, I'm starstruck, because, I mean, this guy is current. He's not Sinbad, right? Uh, but he's, he's current. And so Richard Rawlings, he's coming down, and I say, you're, uh, you're on that show, uh, uh, and I couldn't think of it. I was so starstruck. He goes, Gas Monkey Garage, like with a real stone-cold look on his face. And uh, I said, yeah, Gas Monkey Garage, and your name is um, Richard Rawlings. I said, yeah, Richard Rawlings. But Richard Rawlings, he, he noticed me, right? I noticed him first, but he acknowledged me. It's not, he acknowledged me. It's fun to have somebody famous acknowledge you. It's just nice to be noticed. Jesus notices this man in the midst of his suffering. And can I pause right here for just a minute? There are a lot of people that are in our church that are going through some sort of suffering. There are people who have lost kids. Children have died. People going through extreme hard marital situations. People going through cancer, chemotherapy, life-threatening, depression, All kinds of suffering is going on in our church. And the fact of the matter is, um, you may be entering into that, right? You may be just coming out of it. If If you've not, if you've been, by the grace of God, an individual that has not had much suffering in your life, would you weep and pray with those who are going through suffering? Because that is a great, I mean, it's great not to have to suffer. But there are literally some people in our church who are going through some severe suffering right now. And I remember whenever we were sitting in the hospital room, one of the things that I cared about, that I wanted to know is, just does somebody even care? Does somebody care? Does somebody, uh, would somebody just ask how things are going? So if you know of somebody or if you're just, chatting with somebody. You know, we come in here in the mornings. We, we celebrate the, you know, the atmosphere that we have at City Light, right? I mean, we, we talk with each other. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Good. You know, and then we, we go get our donuts and coffee. And that's great. You know, that's good fellowship. That's hanging out and just having a good time. But occasionally, it's okay to say, are you really doing good? Really, what's going on in your life? Tell me about how your week went. Just show somebody that you care because you never know who might be going through some suffering 
or who might be entering into some suffering. All we want to know is that someone cares. If you're in the midst of suffering right now, I want to let you know that Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you and he cares. So number one, Jesus sees us in our suffering. Number two, Jesus has compassion on us in our suffering. Look in verse number two. It says, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It was a common understanding in the day back then that if, if somebody was sick, if they had a physical ailment, if they were physically handicapped, uh, you know, uh, maybe uh, lame, or if they, they were blind, whatever that situation they were in, it was a common understanding that that person, that person sinned. Like, either that person sinned or his mom and dad sinned. Something happened that caused this person to act like, or to be like this. Somebody was at fault. And so the disciples were asking that question. Jesus, who sinned? Was it this guy or was it his mom and dad? And Jesus says it's not that he sinned or his mom and dad sinned. So Jesus doesn't even go there. Jesus has compassion on this guy's suffering. If the, and think about this. If the disciples judged him at first sight, what about those who saw him from day to day? What about those who saw him and gave to him? What if, what if he heard things like this? You know, if your mom and dad had just been better people, you wouldn't be blind. Or if your mom hadn't eaten that type of food, you would probably be able to see. Or if your dad wasn't so lazy, you would probably be a little different. You know, I don't know what you did, but it must have been really bad for God to punish you in this way. People looked at him like he was being punished for his sin or from somebody else's sin. But Jesus responds differently than his disciples. Jesus wasn't concerned with why he was suffering. He was interested in showing the purpose of his suffering. Jesus looked on this guy and he had compassion on him. He loved him and he saw a greater purpose in his suffering. So thirdly, Jesus displays his work in our suffering. He sees our suffering, he shows compassion in, in our suffering, and he displays his work in our suffering. Sometimes, like with this guy, we know the story, right? I mean, we, we, Eric read it, and Jesus tells this man to, to take this mud that Jesus just put on his eyes and to go wash in the pool at Siloam goes on in the story a little bit. There's some, you know, some controversy with him and the Pharisees and his family and friends and all these different types of things. But what ends up happening is Jesus meets this guy after he's been cast out of the community. And he says, do you know who the son of man is? And this guy looks at Jesus and he says, yeah, tell me where he is. I want to go see him. And Jesus says, I am he. I am he. And he bows down and he worships him. So in a period of probably hours, this guy goes from blind man to being able to see to worshiping the, the, the creator of the universe. That's a great story, right? Isn't that the way all stories of suffering ends? 
Huh? No, it doesn't. Not all stories of suffering end that way. Not all of us can tie a little bow and see God's design from beginning to end. Sometimes things get a little cloudy. Sometimes they get a little bit uh, shady, right? And our faith is stretched. Not every story turns out like this. I think Paul can identify with us, right? Or we can identify with Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 8. He says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, talking about his thorn in the flesh, his time of suffering. It's what Paul suffered from. He said, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, he being God, said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Some stories don't end with miraculous healing, but they all display the work of God in our life. So Cole's story. He went through 10 months, about 10 months or so, almost a year of intense chemotherapy. Was it monthly? Monthly chemotherapy with the steroid injections. They tapered off. His body reacted well to that. Um, he was taking um, that, um, the, the oral pill. He was taking that from time to time or, for, you know, on a regular basis. And uh, he was ev- eventually able to taper off of that. So he went from the, in, the chemotherapy treatments to a chemotherapy pill and unbeknownst to the doctor about three months ago Cole's just like I'm done dad (laughs) I haven't taken any of this stuff for such a long time I'm done so he stops taking the pill he goes to his final checkup here about a week ago and uh and he tells the doctor I've not been taking this medication doctor says well let's do some tests just to see where you are and uh did the test and day or or two later doctor gives Jen a call and he says you know what Cole's done He doesn't need that medication anymore. Praise God, right? Praise God. Truth be known, though, not every story ends out like that, right? Sometimes it ends with people going to meet Jesus. Some stories don't end with miraculous healing, but they all display the work of God in our life. So the question I want to ask you is this. What work is Jesus doing in your life through your suffering? What work is Jesus doing in your life through your suffering? If you're not going through a period of suffering right now, maybe that's a good question for you to ask a friend that's suffering. Is what work is Jesus doing in your life through your suffering? I'm sure if I were to ask Jen that question or ask Cole or Kyle or Brittany, they would probably give me different answers than what God is doing in my life. But here are three things that I can say that God worked in my life during, the, during that period. Number one was stay where you are, Chuck. 
Stay where you are, Chuck. I, Jen and I had um, resigned. I resigned from a, a pastor in a church. And uh, we were looking to get out of this area. We did not like Council Bluffs. We were looking to, you know, pack our bags, pack the car up, put the kids in, and we're heading to the promised land, otherwise known as Ohio. <laughs> Home of the Buckeyes. But you know what? God didn't have that. We went to Children's Hospital, found a great doctor, trusted this doctor. The last thing that we needed to do at the time was uproot our family and start this whole process over again. So God said, Chuck, stay where you are. And I'm so glad he did because God has brought so many people into our lives. Just the other day, we were coming home from a friend's house, and my wife said, this place finally feels like home. Praise God for that. So I heard him say, stay where you are. Secondly, I heard him say, Chuck, I can be the father to Cole that you can. See, I'm, I thought in my mind I'm supposed to protect my son, right? I'm supposed to take care of him. And I was unable to do that. But Jesus told me, I got him. He'll be all right. I'll be the father that you can't. We'll get, this, we'll get through this together. So he said, stay where you are. I can be the father that you can't. And then he says, I'm bigger than your pain. Psalm 77. Asaph is a worship leader. And the nation of Israel had just gone into bondage. And Asaph is in, he's in a fix. He didn't know what to do because they're in captivity and he says things like this. He says things like, um, God, have you forgotten about me? Has your loving kindness ceased? He gets honest with Jesus about his pain. He gets honest with God about the troubles that he's going through. And then he says this, but I'm going to appeal to this, that you have redeemed your people, that you're the creator of the universe, that the that the." Oceans that you've created serve as puddles that your feet splash in. He says, I am bigger than your pain. Put your trust in me because I am bigger than your pain. I'm just so grateful and thankful that God is faithful in our suffering, right? When, when you're in suffering, know this. Know that God sees you in your suffering. Know that that God has compassion on you in your suffering. He's not some cosmic killjoy that's trying to pay you back. He's not interested in the, the payback of your sin. Jesus took care of all that on the cross. So he has compassion on you in the midst of your suffering. And then thirdly, he performs his work in you in the midst of your suffering. Remember those three things. 